It's time for the Hockey Minute, your source for all your hockey news and some opinion. Strap in for the fastest news in the NHL. This episode is proudly brought to you by... Absolutely nobody. We don't have any sponsors. Now here's your hosts, Brandon and Ryan. Here we are. Welcome back to another edition of the Hockey Minute. I'm your host, Brandon. With me, as always, my co-host, Ryan. And today we've got lots of postseason play to discuss. But first, please, rate and subscribe on Apple. It really helps us grow the show. All right, before we get into the hockey, let's check in with my co-host, the dream time pugilist, Ryan. How you doing, man? <laughs> oh, man, yeah, I, uh, I, I texted you about this. I had a dream that I was, well, I had a dream I was playing for the Buffalo Sabres and Tory Krug ran over Jack Eichel. And for some reason... All five foot ten, hundred eighty pounds of me was like, I'm gonna fight Tori Krug, <laughs> and I did, and uh, it was pretty wild. It was one of those really deep dreams too. It was kind of fifty fifty when I woke up because I'm like, when I woke up, I'm like, I would never fight anybody, let alone a pro NHL player. But then the other half of me was like, the Sabers really are that bad. They might sign a twenty nine year old guy that hasn't played in six years to a one year <laughs> deal, and. Uh, so it took me a couple minutes to come crashing back down to earth and go back to my, my crappy 9 to 5. But um, aside from that, yeah, there's a lot to talk about, and, and I'm really uh, really eager to dive into this, buddy. How are you? Oh, buddy, I'm, I'm excellent, but I have to know who won. I haven't asked you that yet. I won. <laughs> okay. It's my dream, man. I got to win. I don't get, like, do you ever have a dream where you don't, like, you lose the fight or you don't get oh, the girl or you man. don't save the world like it's so many you know. yeah like it, it's it, you know like when, have you ever had those dreams when you're like you're you're getting it's getting heated with somebody and you're, you're get, starting to get into a conflict and then you try and punch something and you just can't move your arms it's like you're, you're, <laughs> you're you've got these thousand pound weights on your fists it's like it's so that that's how it would go for me and then i just get pummeled by krug and then marchand to come in and lick me and be a terrible dream <laughs> All right, so let's let's get into it. We've got lots to uh, lots to cover here, actually. So uh, the, the draft lotto went down on Monday, and there is a, I mean, a, a, a little bit of uh, suspicion around the fact that the the person putting the balls into the into the ping pong ball machine just happened to drop the winning ball, and uh, you know maybe there's a little bit of sleight of hand there. But anyway, they they pulled out the Rangers, and I mean, there's a that's a team that some people may say didn't deserve to win it. I don't think they've had a first pick since the '60s, but. You know, it was only a year and a half ago that Jeff Gordon put out that letter that said, uh, you know, there's basically there's going to be pain and we're going to work through, uh, you know, trading away some of your favorite players and we're basically going through a deep rebuild. And uh, a year and a half later, they've got a they've got so many stacked left wingers that they're actually talking about not taking Alexi Lafreniere. So, I mean, what's 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 your take on the Rangers winning this? Well, they'd be stupid not to take Lafreniere. He's he's one of the most highly touted prospects, and yeah, every year. There's the number one and two guys. I mean, you remember last year, Jack Hughes was going to be the next Patrick Kane. Capo Caco might even go first overall, and he, you know, he was going to be this stud player. Yeah. Um, but realistically, Lafreniere, if you're from Canada, you've been hearing about this kid since he was 16 years old, yeah. and he he was dominant from the get go in the Quebec League too. So they'd be dumb not to take him. Uh, but you're right. I mean, you think about how accelerated that rebuild is. Uh, they get uh, Panarin, and then they get Truba in a trade. And Truba's not exactly, you know, uh, setting the world on fire his first year as a Ranger. But no. still, I mean, you, you know, you look at their goaltending situation, that's solved now, basically, uh, to the point where they might ship out King Lundquist. And then they're, they're going to have a first overall pick. And, and you know what? Even if they trade it, uh, that if they trade that pick, I mean, whatever. They're going to get a good return for it. But I think it's, as far as the actual lotto ball, yeah, you know what? 
I don't know. I think that guy just mucked up. Like that's oh, yeah. all it is to me. Like I think he just <laughs> dropped sure. the ball, and people were like running with it, uh, like it was it was some big conspiracy. Yeah, I would have been more thinking it was a conspiracy if it went to Pittsburgh or to Toronto myself. Um, Rangers were on kind of the lower end of teams that I, I didn't want to get it. I, I don't actually mind that they got it, although it just stacks the Metro even more. But. I mean, when you watch that draft lotto and, and the fact that they did it live too was hilarious. Like they got Bettman standing there and they're asking him, can you confirm that this is the Nashville Predators logo? And it's like, yes. You know, Bettman, he looked like he was bored out of his skull. And uh, I don't know, man, it was such a weird thing to watch. I mean, what, what did you think when you saw the guy just set the little fan on and all the balls were jumping around? I mean, what were your thoughts watching that? I'm just glad that it was, you know, kind of done above, uh, done in front of the veil and, and as opposed to behind the veil this time. Like, you know, so often there's so much controversy about the ridiculous number system and stuff. Like, honestly, I, I think the NHL kind of messes up the, the draft consistently in, in how they, they present it. And this is probably no different, but at least it's there for everybody to see. And there's, there should be no question about who the real winner is. And that's that's always the biggest complaint that there is. But just like in, in terms of the Rangers, like, do, do you think that they're going to look at trading Kreider? I mean, they've got three strong left winner, wingers with Lafreniere and, and Kreider probably doesn't quite fit the age window of... Uh, of winning unless Lafreniere can be, you know, a 40 goal scorer in his first season. But uh, I don't really think, you know, like we all know you, the hockey teams win with strong C, strong D and goaltending. The D on, on the Rangers is just okay. They probably need a true number one D and they don't really have a center yet to play with Lafreniere. So there's, there's a lot of moving pieces that need to be shuffled around before they can actually be successful. But uh, I, I don't know, like, can you see Kreider getting shipped out or you think they're going to keep him there? Well, I think Kreider, he re-signed just prior to the deadline yeah. to a long-term deal. So I think, you know, I think, you know, I don't even know if he got a uh, no trade in that, but like, if anything, the Rangers, their weakness is at center because oh, yeah. Ryan Strom is a good, he's a good player, but he's not a number one center. Sabinajet nope. is a good player, but I mean, as far as a number one center, he's not, to me, he's not on the high end of number one centers. Um, so they're going to be stacked at the wing. And, and you know what, maybe it, I don't know if Lafreniere can play center. I don't really know if they want him to. Um, maybe they, they take a look at, uh, one of their other, you know, high-end wingers, maybe Capo Caco. Maybe they try to move him into the, uh, you know, a two C. I, I don't really know. I think it's just for Jeff Gordon, though. He's probably so thrilled at just how lucky they've been because you think, you know, they they jumped up in the draft lotto last year, yeah, and then th- and then this year they they end up picking first overall. I mean, that's that's really. I mean, that's what the Leafs did when they had Marner at four, and then the next year they picked Matthews at one. And look at the team now. So it's crazy how accelerated that rebuild is going to be. And if you're a Ranger fan, which I know we have a couple on our crew, I mean, the city of New York is is probably just buzzing right now. So the Toronto Maple Leafs just recently had their postmortem, and there are some juicy quotes to be uh, extracted from that. And uh, I mean, I don't know, man. I don't even know where you want to start here. There's just too much to get through. But it, it really seems like this is a team that is supposed to be a contender, and they just continually, you know, stub their toe in the, in the first round. And now it feels like they're talking about, you know, I, I, I don't want to be too dramatic and say blowing it up, but it, they're, you know, well, one postseason away from I think having that serious discussion, and you can you can kind of hear it in, in the players' answers. You know what? I, I usually relish seeing the Leafs not succeed but this is some of these quotes like 
I'll uh, I'll kick it over to you. I'm I'm pulling up the quotes right now, but uh, what like you you saw a few of them. What did you think when you see a guy like John Tavares talk or oh yeah, you know, Tyson Berry's talking and and I mean they all were kind of put on uh, on the stand here. <laughs> but it, I mean, does it not strike you as odd how many guys had to explain and justify their lack of success? Like usually it's just the captain and maybe another player. Yeah. But uh what did you see when you read those quotes? Anything jump out at you? I mean, I think the first thing that you know that I would notice is just the what the pressure of the Toronto market does to all those players, right? I think, I think you would just see the captain speak if this were the Arizona Coyotes facing the same kind of ineptitude or the Nashville Predators or kind of any smaller market team. But you put him under the big spotlight of Toronto, and uh, all of a sudden everybody's being held accountable and probably justifiably so. I mean, you're looking at what is it, 33 million for the top three players. And so all those guys are going to get their feet held to the fire over this whole thing. And I just, I mean, I have a couple of quotes here if you want to hear them. So Mitch, Mitch Marner on his series versus Columbus, quote, the first game, I wasn't engaged at all in the physicalness of play at all. And then from that point on, I felt like I got a lot more engaged and playing as my old self, but zero goals isn't going to get the job done. And I mean, maybe that's something he could have kept to himself about saying he wasn't fully engaged. Like with such a rabid market, you probably want to leave that to speculating as opposed to kind of confirming that uh, you weren't fully there for the first game. Yeah, like you think about everything this guy did last summer, the holdout and the fact that he has four assists. And and it was actually pointed out to me by somebody that three of those assists came in the the one game where they came back. So you look at it, you're like, okay, that's 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 cool. Like he had a hand in that comeback. Yeah. But still that means that for the the other four games in that five game series, he had one assist and that's not good enough for a guy who demanded the, the amount of money that he demanded. And everybody, it's weird to see how Toronto's kind of flipped on Marner. Cause it seems like two years ago when he was this, you know, 94 point player, um, and people were talking about how he was a top 10 you know, winger in the league. He was even a, a very good defensive forward for a winger. And, and now it's like people are calling for blood. And when you look at that, that core group that you mentioned, John Tavares, he's not going anywhere. He's got a no-trade clause. Uh, Matthews, you're, you're not trading him. He's a 47-goal center. He's uh, got potential to score 50. Uh, Nylander, if anything, Nylander was the first holdout and boy, does that guy, he's probably just so thrilled. He's like, I only got 7 million and I'm (laughs) like, that's, that's, that's nothing. You know, um, the fact that Marner got three, almost $4 million more than, than Nylander, he's the odd man out in this. And if the Leafs, from what I heard, uh, from Elliot Friedman was that the Leafs plan here is they're going to have one more crack at it with this current group. And if next year they can't get it done, that's when they're going to start blowing it up. And the fact that Marner actually come out and said, I wasn't ready in game one. I wasn't engaged. Dude, you got to be engaged. You can't be making ten, almost $11 million a year and just kind of coast through game one, hoping to find some motivation. Yep. If you want to win a championship, you got to be ready to go. And I think Jake Muzzin, he didn't outright say it, but he, he did have a quote basically just saying that, you know, for some guys – they got to kind of figure it out, you know, like guys are frustrated and, and it, and I hope that it burns and it stays with us yeah. is what his quote was. But Muzzin is a guy that's been there and, and he knows more than anybody. 
it's great that you got paid, but you're never going to win a cup if you got, as you said, $33 million tied up in three players. Yeah, and it, I mean, there's all these rumors circulating now of them bringing in some kind of stiffness on the back end. But I mean, I, I really think it boils down to those those three star players and being able to find kind of their grit and uh, uh, truculence, as, as uh, Brian <laughs> Burke would put it, to, to be able to grind and, and get into the, the hard areas and play. And it doesn't matter how tough you're your you know bottom six or your, your bottom four are on d like you, you really need the the top guys to kind of embody that team grit and uh it seems like toronto is a long way from it and so it's interesting to see you guys like muzzin call it out and um i don't know man i just uh i'm, I'm i'll be really interested to see how they move forward with this but uh man I, I i don't feel for those guys if they come to the same fate next year it's going to be wild to see what they decide to do with the team the one guy that I feel bad for is Morgan Riley because that guy's been here in Toronto f- since uh, you know when they sucked. Like that was you know that team was awful, and he's the longest tenured Leaf. And now he's what is he twenty five, twenty six years old? Like he's in a position now where he wants to win, and I think he's watching some of these other guys get their money and and not really try as hard. He, he, I bet you he's really frustrated, but. He's probably the only defenseman on that team that's untouchable. Yeah, yeah, oh man, I, I think you're right there. I just wanted to go through a couple of quotes from management here. So Kyle Dubas on the Leaf season, he says, it's not a dream in terms of how we can play because we showed multiple times throughout this year. Just the fact that we could not do it as often required to reach our potential would be the most disappointing factor from my end. Brendan Shanahan says, uh, I sense that the players are extremely angry, angry with themselves, and we're angry with ourselves. These guys really want to win. They really want to become the team that they're capable of becoming, and uh, they're not making excuses. And then he went on to say, we understand why Toronto fans are frustrated. They're entitled to be. They should be. Our players really do want to perform for them and for themselves. And he finished by saying, I have complete faith in Kyle as a general manager, in Sheldon as a coach, and complete confidence in what we're going to do here in Toronto. So it obviously sounds like uh, what Friedman was saying is right. They want one more crack at it with this pretty similar roster. But I really got a kick out of this one answer from Dubas. He was asked if, if Leafs management has misread the potential of this team. And he said, no. Dude, imagine if Toronto comes out with that letter that Tampa put out <laughs> last oh year. My like, God. We understand your pain. They just changed. Yeah, exactly. They changed the wording. It's like, we understand. <laughs> we understand your frustration. <laughs> it's just like Tampa. Like, I just, I, that's when you, when Dubas was talking about that and Shanahan was talking about that. That's exactly what I thought. It's just, it sounds yeah. like an apology letter, basically. And of, of course, uh, Toronto was, was pushed out of the playoffs by Columbus, who then went on to have one of the most insane overtimes against Tampa in, in modern playoff history, going to the, what, mid-fifth overtime with something like 90 shots uh, for Tampa and about 60-odd shots for Columbus. Just an absolute insane game. Basically three games put into one. Uh, I mean, I don't know, man. I actually didn't catch all of it. I had to you know live my life for a little while, but I came back and it was still on, so that was great. <laughs> Well, I didn't have a life, Brandon. I had the game on, <laughs> and I, but like, I, it was kind of crazy. Like I was, I, you know, it was just insane. It, the fact that, and it, it, it's not like these guys were playing safe either. I mean, there were chances. Call, like Columbus Cam Atkinson got hauled down on a breakaway. That probably could have been a penalty shot. There wasn't even a penalty called. Yeah, 
just a crazy game. And I, you, when you look at some of the the numbers that these guys were putting up, I mean, Victor Hedman played 57 minutes. Well, Victor Hedman twisted his ankle the other night. Like, I was surprised yeah. that he played as much as he did. Uh, Orensky and Jones on Columbus both played over an hour in game <laughs> minutes. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I mean, the the closest I have to that was one year in three-on-three three in a 45-minute game, three 15-minute periods. I played like 41 minutes because we had a short bench, and three-on-three is on a shorter ice. Like, I was just dumping and dumping the puck down the ice, racing to the bench. A guy would squirt me in the face with water, and then I would hustle back onto the ice and jump into the play. And yeah. that was like I was 15. You know, these guys are pro hockey players in the NHL. It was just such an incredible game, and... Shout out Jonas, Jonas Corpusalo because that guy faced more rubber than what Gord Miller found in the bubble laying on the ground <laughs> because that was an insane showing for him. And you know what? I felt really bad for him, the amount of, of pucks that he stopped. And it, I got to be honest, man, a game that long, and, and feel free to, to disagree with me on this, but I just feel like if that game's going to go f- two and a half games rolled into one, I want to see a breakaway goal. I want to see something pretty. And the fact that Braden Point picks the puck up after it hit Gabrikov in the face and he got hurt, and Point just literally throws it at the net and it, it makes its way, and it was just kind of so anticlimactic for a goal yep. that, uh, you know, I, I wish it would have been more. But, you know, on the flip side, I heard Jeff Merrick say that he likes, in those marathon games, he likes the super ugly goals. Like he wanted it to be uglier. So, huh. uh, what are your thoughts? What would you, if they, if that's the Canucks and they lose that game? Would you rather see, you know, a Vladimir Tarasenko, you know, breakaway sick dangle, or do you want, uh, you know, just a garbage goal that is, is so ugly that you you just cry yourself to sleep? <laughs> Man, uh, honestly, I, I think the uh, the thing that I'd be the most joked about is that that missed call. I mean, I, I know they only called two penalties in the entire overtime, right? There was one high-sticking infraction and one puck over the glass. So, I mean, it, it was clear they put their whistles away, but, I mean, you, you have to call it when a guy's draped all over a man on a, on a breakaway. That needs to be at least a holding. I mean, the, the only thing you can think is maybe the, uh, the the man committing the infraction was just so tired he had to lean on the attacker just to kind of keep his legs up, but I don't know, man. I, I, that's what I'd be the most choked about. But I, I would love to see, you know, some nasty dangle in a, in a, on a breakaway for a goal going the other way if it had to be. But I think these guys are so tired they can barely elevate the puck. Like, <laughs> I don't know. I was just amazed that, that they could keep rolling. Yeah. Like, what do you think those guys eat, too? Because it was pointed out in the bubble, everything's so tightly vetted that, like, after a after a long game, even for three periods, I'd go home and I'd eat, like, pasta and like garlic bread you know get those carbs in yeah like i wonder what those guys ate through all the periods because normal pre-covid times like they'd order a local like a local pizza place would just drop off a bunch of pizzas yeah and you just don't even think about it right but in covid times obviously it's different so i'd be really willing i, I wonder also too did those guys see each other like in the elevator <laughs> after <laughs> when they're at the hotel it's just like uh oh, good game yeah but uh, game two will be interesting. And, and for all those people out there that think that because Tampa won game one, that somehow that means they're they're going to come back from last year's heartbreak with a vengeance. Dude, it took five overtime periods. If you think that Tampa Bay somehow took it to the Columbus Blue Jackets, you're an idiot. Because Corpus Allo stopped 
30 more shots than uh, the other goaltender did. So I believe Columbus will come back in game two, and I believe they're going to win game two. Yeah, I'm, I'm right there with you, man. I still think it's going to be a really tight series. And I, I think even, you know, watching the, the post-game interviews, they were, <laughs> I think it was with Braden Point, but he's saying, like, they're an insanely competitive team, right? Like, we have a long, long way to go here to actually close this out. So I think Tampa knows what they're in for, and it's not going to be a surprise how competitive Columbus is, but I, I still think Columbus's system is going to w- win the day here. All right, so we're going to move on to uh, the Capitals and the Islanders, uh, my my favorite team, Washington Capitals. Uh, did you have a chance to watch this game? I actually didn't, man. No, I'm, I was, I've been waiting for you to fill me in. I know you were watching with uh, rapt attention. Oh, man. You know, this team, I talked about it before. Why am I single? I have trust issues. Well, <laughs> watching this game today, man, like the only guy that looked like he was trying was Tom Wilson. Braden Holpe, I, I love Braden Holpe. He's... Uh, the save in game two against Vegas yep. in 2018 will go down as one of the all-time great saves ever, let alone in Capitals history, but in league history. He looked horrendous tonight or this afternoon, however you want to, whatever time zone you were in when you watched it. And the Capitals overall just looked sloppy. And you mentioned it before, Brandon, the Islanders play a very defense-oriented system. Uh, Matt Barzell had flashes, but other than that, the Islanders were just very structured on the power play for Washington. Komarov took himself out of the play to stand next to Ovechkin the entire power play. Basically made it a four on three. <laughs> and you got to think for Komarov, he got a fat contract from Lamorello a couple of years ago. That guy's getting paid whatever, $4 million a year just to stand next to the greatest goal scorer of all time. Not a bad deal. I'd do that. But the thing is, the Islanders just... They chipped away, and they chipped away, and they chipped away, and they capitalized on mistakes. And a couple of those goals were soft goals let in by Braden Holtby. Uh, Capitals need to sharpen up because, much like last year against Carolina, you cannot take any team lightly in this uh, in this condensed playoffs. Um, and, and so I don't know, man. I know you had the Islanders as your, your cup pick, and i got to be honest with you, I don't think that they necessarily look – like a cup winning team but they look like a team that's just gonna just annoy you defensively and and somehow they may actually make it all the way to the cup finals if they keep playing this way and and that's a huge part uh in due to Barry Trotz yeah yeah I mean absolutely there's something that that Barry Trotz seems to have that uh I I don't think any other coach has just in terms of building his team up and and getting a level of buy-in and belief what no neck (laughs) Yeah, that's that's fair. But what what he lacks in neck, he makes up in heart, man. <laughs> <laughs> I totally forgot what I was talking about. I just had a picture in the no neck trots that just killed me. Oh, Tyler Myers should give him some of that neck. You know? Yeah, they, they could share neck for sure. I actually don't don't have that much to say on this series. Again, I, I didn't get a chance to catch the game, so I'm, I'm glad you gave me the recap. And um, you know, for your sake, I'm hoping the Caps pull it out. And just in, in the sake of uh, for hockey fans everywhere who enjoy exciting hockey, I hope they pull it out. But uh, in terms of patting myself on the back, I'm still cheering for the Isles. We're going to move on to the uh, Boston versus Carolina series. And again, we probably don't have too much to touch on here. It was another game that went to OT and was uh, finished in double OT by Bergeron. And it, it just seemed like Boston was kind of carrying the play the, the entire game and Carolina was struggling to keep up. And it, it seemed like that was led by the perfection line. So I know that was something that we'd both kind of speculated about. Like, was that going to be possible for Boston to be able to, you know, flick a switch and become competitive? And it looks like they have. Yeah, that, that top line for Boston, six points tonight uh, combined. Um, 
interesting game. I don't know if you caught some of the highlights. I mean, the, the one goal Charlie Coyle scored where uh, the goaltender, Mrazek, covered the puck, and then they the, the Bruins kind of poked it loose. And uh, Rod Brindamore had some great sound bites and and uh he got ended up getting fined 25 grand for his comments uh called the league a bleeping joke yeah yeah you know so he ate the fine for that but you know what i i got to agree with him because when i watched the play first of all it looked like a hand pass and then second of all the goaltender covers it and in the past we've seen we've seen uh referees they they blow the play dead after the guy scores and then they say well it's no goal because we intended to blow the whistle the intent was there yeah i don't know how you can watch mrazic cover the puck fully yeah and then just let the play go on the, the whistle should have been blown so the fact that brindamore uh you know his comments all i'm paraphrasing here i don't have the exact comment but he basically said the ref gave him two separate options like it was like you're either going to challenge for a hand pass or for goalie interference and you know it's your pick and and Brindamore said like either one of those it's not a goal so how like you tell me and uh and then somehow they ended up making it a goal so I I don't know man it was a tough loss for Carolina but I do think as we've seen with the Carolina Hurricanes man they're not going to go away and they're going to come back next game and probably much like Columbus they're going to be pissed off and and ready to play with a vengeance I I have the the Brindamore quote here if you're interested yes bring it so he says the the guy comes to me and says it's either goalie interference because he had it uh, and the guy knocked it out of his hand or it's a glove hand pass. You got to pick one. Either way, it's no goal. What? <laughs> you have to tell me what the call is. He's telling me to pick one. And then, and then he goes on. He says he comes to me and says, pick one. I'm like, well, it's one of the two. There's absolutely no way that can be a goal. He's putting it on me to pick it. Well, you tell me what you're calling. You're calling it he had it? Then it's a f***ing goalie interference. If you're saying he didn't have it, you're not telling me what call you're making, and I have to pick one? Then they go upstairs and say, oh, he had possession. It's horse This is where the league is a joke. And obviously they're going to bleep my comments and, well, Brenda Moore's comments there, but you, you, can, you can definitely feel the heat. And it kind of seemed like he's like, well, I know I'm about to get fined, so I might as well just rail on here. And they, they were talking about that in, in the Hockey Night in Canada broadcast. And he didn't say that in his postgame presser. He actually called Sarah Siv, the, uh, the beat writer for his team, and, and relayed that message to her. So he, he wanted to get that message out there. Yeah, it's uh, Sarah Sivian, by the way. But, yeah, no, it's... And that's true. I mean, it was such a weird call. Um, and I felt bad. And you know what? Man, every time these things happen, it always seems like the big market team gets the benefit of the doubt. Like, forget the lottery ball uh, conspiracy. I mean, how many times have we seen the Bruins or the Blackhawks? They seem to get these calls go their way. So, yeah. Um, tough, tough thing. And then obviously, it goes to double overtime and Bergeron gets the goal. Uh, but again, I, I I believe that the the Canes will come back, and I still think that they can win this this series. Yeah, man, I'm I'm, I'm with you there. All right, so I'll tee up Brandon here. St. Louis, Vancouver, game one. <laughs> Hope you folks have a cup of coffee as you're listening to this, and you're you're, you're all wrapped up in your snuggie because Brandon's going to give a full shift by shift breakdown. So Brandon, take it away, man. <laughs> well. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do my best to keep this as brief as I can, but uh, I, I have to tell you guys, I texted Ryan after the second period when it was 2-2, and I said, buddy, we may have to uh, record this tomorrow if this goes to 5 OTs, because I'm working early, and this is looking like it's going to be tight for a while. So 
But uh, man, just a, a couple of quick points here is the you know I was I was really interested to see how the Canucks would come out against the the Blues and how the Blues would come out in general by on their own right they had a really uh, limp <laughs> round robin and uh, the, the, the Canucks were on fire but I think both of them had good energy but it seemed like the Canucks weren't shy at all they were engaging in battles and and really fighting Bo Horvat had an absolute monster of a game like he 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 turned on the the playoff bow that I think most Canucks fans have been waiting for to start uses 220 pound frame like an actual power forward and it, it seems like he's not shy at all to be involved i mean he's, he scored two goals tonight but on a second goal he, he dangled uh vince dunn i think it was and then went far side blocker on on bennington and then went back to the fa- the face-off circle and gave a real cheeky wink to the the st louis blues players going by so uh, he seems like he's fully engaged uh, Quinn Hughes is still doing his thing. I mean, uh, I was, and that's another big point for me is I was really wondering how he was going to fare with the abuse because we all know how heavy St. Louis is and, and, uh, how much after whistle, after the whistle shenanigans they get into. So, uh, yeah, I mean, there was a, a couple of, of, uh, kind of heated moments with, uh, David Perron kind of doing his rat thing on a line with Tarasenko there. He's getting tangled up with everybody he can get tangled up with. He's pulling Roussel down by his knee and, uh, he's kind of giving, uh, giving Quinn Hughes the, the face wash and some ugly cross checks and stuff in, in front of the net. But, uh, it, it seems like the Canucks weren't too interested in getting involved in that way and they just wanted to smoke him on the power play. And I mean, as long as the, the refs keep calling, uh, calling penalties at least at the same rate that they're doing and i don't see any reason for the canucks to stop uh stop that method yeah i don't have much on this game i know uh well i watched it but i know you're you're the canuck guy i mean blues looked pretty bad bennington looked horrible oh terrible yeah terrible i mean that and and you know what i mean uh, that stetcher goal though that was a great moment for him um obviously lost his dad on father's day so uh pretty cool that he got the game winning goal and uh for the Canucks man it's I I don't know like I feel like if the Blues are going to play the way they have this entire playoff run here that the Canucks they got those they got that playing around done against Minnesota but that like I said that was kind of a tune-up thing for them and they looked really good tonight and you're right Quinn Hughes and Pedersen those guys are going to have to learn how to fight through those bigger teams and I thought they did a good job the one thing that I do wish is that the Canucks had somebody just to kind of go square off with, uh, you know, with Perron or with Brower, whoever. Yeah. Because you can't let those guys take that abuse. Like the wear and tear on these guys, even though they're young, is it's going to wear them down eventually. And you got to think long term. They might get by St. Louis, but if all those Blues players are are leaning on those guys now, they're not going to be as effective as the playoffs drag on. And so. Uh, hopefully the Canucks can can figure something out there just to kind of you know like I didn't mention this I should have but Tom Wilson tonight Anders Lee took a run or kind of a cheap shot on Backstrom and then John Carlson went to fight Lee and Lee tossed Carlson so Tom Wilson went out there and basically waited for Lee to come off the bench and fought him and beat the hell out of him and I'm not saying the Canucks need to do that but you got to do something just to let your your star players know that you got their back and I mean, who do they even have, man? I mean, they're, they're bottom six guys. Furlan's gone. Uh, Jay Beagle's not going to fight. Sutter's not going to fight. Myers is, is a tree. He's not going to fight. Yeah. So they got to figure something out to protect their guys. Zach McEwen can fight, but he's, he's going to be on the fourth line, right? And I think that's always the problem. And that's the, the benefit of the Caps having Tom Wilson is he's, he's a top six, like a legitimate top six player who can throw him, and the Canucks just don't really have that. Well, I mean, Jake Vertanen, should be, he should be adopting that role then. Like he, he, you know, make yourself effective, Jake. 
And I'm not. And again, I'm not saying that he's got to go. He's still playing on the third line, though, right? Yeah, but what does it matter though? Like, if you you got to just send that message, especially in game one. Why not just go out there and just grab somebody and square up with them? That's what I think, and, and people can disagree with me on that. But I just think watching the clip of Perron, literally away from the play in front of the ref. I don't know what the ref was watching. But Perron tosses Hughes to the ice, then he cross-checks him, and then as Hughes is trying to get up, he's, you know, Perron's still taking shots at him, and it's just like somebody on the bench has to be watching this, like jump over the boards and, and you know, go let him know that's not appreciated and, and uh, we're not going to stand for that. And you know what? If you're not going to do that, you're not going to confront Perron. Go after Schwartz. Go after Tarasenko. Go after, you know, Petrangelo, right? Like eye for an eye. Yeah, man. I mean, in, in terms of uh, vigilante justice and, and, and those kinds of things, I, I guess I'm just happy with the outcome for the game. I, I totally understand your point of it being a, a war of attrition and um, kind of taking your lumps over time is going to have a big toll. But uh, I, like I think we all know that uh, the, the GMs and refs kind of all meet, or at least they... Uh, they meet with the head of refing or whatever in between every game in the playoffs and kind of state their case if they want to. And I'm I'm curious to see how it's going to be ref going forward. I kind of have a feeling they're going to be a little bit tighter on those uh, away from the whistle shenanigans uh, come game two. All right, so we're going to move on to a couple of fun things here. Uh, Ryan, you kind of alluded to it a little bit earlier, and it, it just kills me, man. Uh, Gord, Gord Miller tweeted something to the effect of, uh, you know, some players here are having more fun than we are, and with a, a picture of an empty condom box on, on the floor of the bubble, or in, on, the, on the sidewalk of the bubble, I guess. So, I mean, uh, boy, what, what do you think that's all about? <laughs> oh, you know what? I saw a video of the Penguins when they were in the bubble, and uh, they I guess they were singing happy birthday to Malkin, and... They had these two gorgeous, you know, probably early 20s waitresses come over and, and you know, they're giving him the, the piece of cake for his birthday. And I'm just thinking to myself, like, I get that, you know, you got a business to run, but you're going to put a bunch of attractive young women in a bubble with a bunch of yep. Tyler Sagan types, you know, like, yeah, is that really yeah, the best yeah. thing to be doing? Yeah. Uh, I will say, I will say this, uh, uh, Donovan Mitchell recently in the NBA accidentally live streamed some, uh, provocative sounds coming from his hotel room <laughs> okay. uh, so it's not like the nhl guys are the only guys trying to do this stuff and look if if we're gonna pick on whoever this is i mean give him credit safe sex and uh so he's not gonna be getting a, a dm nine months from now from uh some girl in toronto um yeah no i, I thought it was funny and, and good for gord for just kind of making light of it but I mean, come on, Gord, you're kind of narking on these guys a little bit. Oh, 100%. But you're right, man. They should just have a bunch of servers that look like you and me, and then they wouldn't have this problem. <laughs> we, hey, we'd be in there just, like, begging for interviews. <laughs> <laughs> I'd have, like, a, like a, a hot mic attached to my jersey or to my little uh, waiter uniform and <laughs> just trying to get these 30-second interviews. <laughs> yeah. So uh, who do you think is going to take the cup this year? Yeah, yeah. It's just like sources tell me. Who's that source? Uh, Bo Horvat. <laughs> Yeah, will it be the opposite of any hockey insider? We'll, just, we'll blow all of our insider uh, insider uh, sources right away. Yeah, exactly. And lastly, uh, we did get a voicemail. We're going to play right now uh, from one of our listeners. And now. Hey, guys. Ben here from the Cider Ranch Podcast. Um, two questions for you guys. So first question, you can't say Caps, can't say Canucks. What two teams for you guys... Um, do you just love watching from either conference? Uh, you know, what team excites you to watch? Um, and secondly, from either conference as well, what is your guys' player to watch? So uh, for me in the Western Conference, 
Uh, it's the it's uh, Nathan McKinnon, just the perfect blend of power and speed. And then the East, it is Sebastian Ajo. Looking forward to you guys' responses. All right, so that's uh, that's a good question, and, and thank you, Ben, for the uh, the message. By the way, uh, for those listening to our show, check out Sada Ranch. They've got some great guests coming on their show. They've already had uh, Jay Onright and Rick Dollywall. If you're hockey fans, you want to check those interviews out. Um, Brandon, I'll kick it over to you first. Uh, your picks, and then your your players to watch. Wow, so picks to come out for the for the East and the West that aren't our teams. I mean, I think I think it's it's probably too easy, but it's the only one that comes to mind for the West. And it, I mean, Colorado is such a wagon, and then you look at how they just rolled Arizona in their first game. I think Arizona finished the game with like eleven shots or something like that, which is like a, a one period total for most games. Like, I don't know, man. It's hard to pick anybody from anybody other than Colorado. But uh, to me, it feels like the East is really more of a toss-up right now. I just I can't see anybody that's uh, the kind of the clear-cut favorite, at least to my eyes. I mean, I'd, I'd probably pick Carolina just because I we we talk about them all the time. But I I, I love their I love their D. Uh, there's got to be a better way to phrase that. But their <laughs> their, their their back end is fantastic. <laughs> their back end's fantastic. Sounds so much better. <laughs> Well, you have to have a place to put your D. Um, <laughs> yeah, but uh, yeah, for, I, I guess for me it would have to be like at least in terms of enjoyment for watching too. I mean, I just I I love watching Carolina, and then I mean just for players to watch out of the out of the West, it's off that Colorado team. I think Ben mentioned it too. It's it's Nathan McKinnon, man. It's like I understand that a lot of people are going to pick McDavid because of the highlight real stuff, but. There's like I think McDavid and McKinnon are pretty comparable players, but McDavid looks effortless when he's cruising, and and, Mc, and McKinnon looks like he's just chewing up the ice when he's skating. With how fast he stick handles, how hard he cuts, he's just a big boy doing the same things, and it just it makes it look a lot more aggressive and a lot more fun to watch. So for me, it has to be McKinnon in the West. As far as players to watch out of the East, I, I think my pick would be Seth Jones. Uh, he's just an absolute monster on the back end, and watching him dominate in Toronto, you, you kind of get to see all facets of his game. He's, you know, he's an incredible offensive defenseman. He's he's so stiff to play against on the back end. Has a great stick, and he can work anybody over in the boards. And he isn't afraid to get engaged, and uh, just like an incredible skater. So yeah, I think for me, for the East, it has to be him. Yeah, I I think uh, for myself, teams, my my predictions. Uh, I won't pick the Abs because you did. My genuine thought is that the Abs are going to win the West. But since you picked them, I'm going to go a different route. I'm going to say that. Uh, Chicago is is going to go all the way in the West. Um, controversial, maybe, but in the East, if I can't pick Washington, I'm going to pick. I'm going to pick Philadelphia, and I hate to do that because Philadelphia is a scumbag city and a scumbag team, but they look really good. They're the only round robin team that actually tried. So, um, as far as players to watch, I'm not going to, I'm going to go a different route here. I know there's more exciting players to watch, but I'm going to pick a couple of young guys that I think people should keep their eyes on in the East. Watch Nick Suzuki on Montreal. This kid is really good. He was, he was traded for Max Pacioretty. He was the main piece in that trade. And on top of that, Carey Price saved his life tonight. So even though Nick's on an entry level deal, he's going to be paying, for a nice dinner for Carey Price, who makes like 10 times more than he does. Uh, if you haven't seen the save, Nick Suzuki went to block a shot, ducked for some reason. Why block a shot and then turn your head down? Uh, Carey Price got the stick in the way, and it just whizzed past Suzuki's head. Uh, and in the Western Conference, you know what? Who A kid that really impresses me is Kirby Dock, and I say that because he was third overall in 2019, and people talked about Jack Hughes and Capo Caco. 
man, Kirby Doc looks like he's ready for the big stage and he looks like he's ready to take a next step. And I don't know if that's just because he's a, he was already a good player, but he's got a guy like Jonathan Taves there and Patrick Kane there and Duncan Keith there to have, have won it all and multiple times and are, are considered some of the best players of their era. But he just looks like he's prepared for the playoffs and he's, he's going to be a big game player. So watch him closely because I think he's going to be a stud. Draft guy, Ryan. Yep. No, no, not really. <laughs> no, man, I, I love it. Those are great picks. I'm, I'm uh, curious about that that Chicago pick, man. I'm, I mean, I, I, I feel the same that they, they have a chance of maybe doing something. But uh, wow, would that ever be wild? Uh, credit to whoever the guy is that uh, the, whoever the guy out there is that may have put some money down on Chicago to win, and whatever those odds would be. Yeah, we'll have to ask Marcus. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's fair. Yeah, our uh, our, our resident gambler. All right, guys, that's going to do it for us. Thanks, everybody, for listening. Thanks, Grandma, for letting me crash on your couch and watch the game. Uh, thanks, Ryan. Nope, me. Thank you. I'm not thanking you. <laughs> okay, hold on. Hold on. You're welcome, Brandon. It was, it was my, hey, it was my oh. pleasure to have you. Thanks, th- thanks for coming oh. on. <laughs> Oh, you got it, buddy. Thanks for letting me on here. Okay, third third tries a charm. From Ryan and Brandon, we'll catch you next time on the Hockey Minute. We'd like to take a second to thank you, the listener, for joining us. And a big thanks goes to our writers and production team, Jules, Mark, and Matt. We couldn't do this without you. Make sure to follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter, at The Hockey Minute, as well as leaving voicemails on our anchor page, at Hockey Minute. And always make sure to subscribe to whichever platform you listen to your podcast. That's going to do it for us. This is Brandon and Ryan. We'll talk to you next time on the Hockey Minute. Uh, obviously, we'll cut this part, but obviously I haven't listened to the voicemail since you sent it. <laughs> okay, well, give me a sec then. <laughs> I thought you listened to it. It was like 30 seconds. <laughs> no, I, I, no, no, I, 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 I listened to it w- like when you sent it, but then I watched the Canucks win and oh, then yeah, I just yeah, wiped my yeah, memory. So. Okay. Um, so give me half a sec here. Who's still playing in the East that I like? Hmm. You know, Zach Wierenski. Yeah, well, that's that's the West, aren't they? The West, Columbus is in the West. No, dude, they're in the East. <laughs> well, that's right. Obviously, they're playing Tampa. <laughs> Jesus Christ, dude! What time yeah. is it? Well, oh we'll God. wrap this up, and you you can go to bed after this. <laughs>